Hey, listen, we've talked the past couple of weeks, and I think it's very appropriate with day camp to kind of kick off day camp and to talk about how we can love our children well. Uh, now, I think if you have a children, I don't know any parent that would be so bold, brash, or insensitive to say they didn't love their children. Uh, now, whether or not we love them well, that may be a different thing. And it's not always because we have been taught how to love them. Sometimes we're missing that component in our own lives. Maybe as we grew up, one of the things we talked about last week was how to love them well. And there's three things that actually had the way God the Father loved Jesus the Son. Offering meaningful touches is one of the things. Expressing high value, giving words of affirmation. This is, in, in some total, this is what God the Father, how he loved God the Son. And so I think if we could take that and learn that. And if you want to dive deeper into that, read uh, Gary Smalley, John Tritt's book, uh, The blessing and realize maybe for yourself, you never received the blessing or your spouse never received the blessing. And so if you've, if you've been living without the blessing, it's really hard to know how to give the blessing. And so that can really help you, I think, along the ways, but it's not simply loving our children. We might think in a world where we think and all the chaos and the anger and the whatever's going on in the world, we might think if we just have more love, sweet love. If we just loved more, then that's what we need. And if, if we just love, then everything will be okay. And I tell you what, it's a good bedrock. It's a good foundation. In fact, I don't even want to live without love. I mean, love is absolutely a motivating factor in life, but it's not enough. We as parents, we as grandparents, we as big brothers, big sisters, we as aunts and uncles, and I must say this, aunts and uncles, you play a big role. Last Sunday, I should have called him out. He was sitting on the second row. My uncle, uh, Alan, uh, it was, was with us last week. He was a major player uh, in my life as being an influence in my life. So aunts, uncles, you play a great role. But love is not enough. We need to know how to lead them well. Loving our children well but also leading them well. We can't just assume that they're going to wake up and know which way to go. We can't just assume that they're going to make right decisions. We can't just assume that they're going to know the right path. We have got to help them get on the right path, stay on the right path, navigate through the, all the detours in, in the paths that are out there. I want you to read a verse with me in case you don't fully buy into this. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Read it with me. Train up a child in the way he should go. Stop right there. Now, most of us know the rest of that verse, but I don't want us to go to the rest of the verse. I want us to focus on the first part of the verse because the rest of the verse is the proverb that we want to claim. We want to quickly go there. So I'm going to let you live in suspense if you don't know what the rest of the verse is and make you look it up. I want us to focus on the front part of the verse. Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. Now, that word train, just take that word and break it down. Just take that word and meditate on it for a little bit. It has such meaning to it, such richness to it, such the idea that there's intentionality in there, there's discipline in there, there's direction in there, there's vision in there, there's a, there's a pathway in there. Train up a child. And we have to, as parents, as, as influencers in the next generation, we need to help show them the way, guide them into the path that they should go. And it isn't easy in this world is going to try to detour them and derail them and cause them to much harm and disappointment in their life. Having a child is not enough. Being able to raise a child is important. Being able to direct a child, leading, leading them forward. Parents, I know if you're like me, we struggle with this from time to time. 
We get, we defeat ourselves. We get upset because, you know, they're making bad choices and not all that's on us. And sometimes we struggle to know which way is the right way ourselves. So it's kind of hard to guide somebody if you don't know where they go. In fact, there was a study that was done of about 1,600 families asking them, how well are you at parenting and how well are you doing and core values in parenting? And this is basically what the study came out. It was Public Agenda public, did the study, and they looked at 1,600 parents in 12 different focus groups. And this is what they found out, that 91% of the parents feel honesty is an essential value, but 28% of them feel like they're having a hard time getting that value into their child. Think about that for a moment. Money is a ha- money habits, being able to spend right, invest right, don't go into debt too much, all those kind of good money habits, 70% believe it's important, but 28% feel like they're struggling in that area of passing that on to their children. Protecting their kids from drugs and alcohol, 79% they're struggling, maybe not doing enough. Negative messages in the media, 73% feel like they're not doing enough. There's this overwhelming sense, aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, wannabe one-day parents. There's a great sense of inferiority when it comes to parenting. I said this last week. It doesn't take, it doesn't take two physically mature people coming together to make an emotionally mature adult. You can be physically mature and emotionally a child and unable to erase an adult. It takes physical maturity, emotional maturity, spiritual maturity if you're going to raise a spiritual mature adult. It takes all of those. And sometimes we struggle in this area ourselves and we cannot, we got to get past this. Because here's a life principle for you. You've heard me say it before. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what? Who we are. We teach what we know. We, we tell them this is the right path. But really, really, our kids are smelling. They're sensing. They're seeing. They're hearing one thing and they're hearing another thing. They see duplicity. They can call it out better than, than yourself many times in your own life. My kids driving down the road when I'm teaching them to drive, you go the speed limit. They point it out when I'm not going the speed limit. They sense that duplicity before I can even sense it in myself. Being consciously aware of what I am reproducing and knowing that that, that is vitally important. Now, here's a verse for us to all as parents, want to be parents, going to be parents, grandparents. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I'm going to go in my house. I'm going to live in my house. I'm going to exist in my home. And there's not going to be any shame there. There's not going to be any, any duplicity there. There's not going to be hypocrisy there. There's not, no, we are going to say, we are going to do what is right. Now, here's the problem. In a world of multiple values, in a world of deteriorating biblical values, what is right today? Again, I come back, train up a child in the way he should go. We have got to, as parents, realize that this intentionality is on us to help our children find the path. Now, if they choose to get off the path, that's on them. But we, as parents, got to make sure that we have modeled it, we've modeled it, we've modeled it in our own lives. It is not easy being a parent. 
Any parents in the room? Any, I want to see all the parents in the room. Raise your hand. Parents in the room. Now, put your hand. No, keep it up. Keep your hands up. The survey. All right. If parenting is easy for you, put, keep your hand up. And you know what? It wasn't easy for your parents parenting you either. The reality is it's not easy. All right? And so how are we going to do this? Because the home is where character is forged and formed, but the world is where it is tested. Let me say it to you again. The home is where character needs to be formed. I should say it like that. But it is the world that is going to test it. It's going to try it. Take your Bibles and look at Joshua chapter 23. We're going to look at a, probably a familiar passage of Scripture to many. And I want to, I want, you got to understand the context of what's going on because when you read most of Joshua, you see fighting, the conquering of lands. You see all this happening. And so you, you kind of wonder what's going on. But this is not that time. They are all past that. They are all setting up shop. They're digging their, their gardens and they're putting the foot, footings down for their homes and they're establishing life in the promised land. And this is what the promised land looks like. It is peace and prosperity. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel, verse chapter 23, verse 1, from all the surrounding enemies, this is a time of peace. This is a time of prosperity. Welcome to America. Now, I know you may not look at yourself and see it prosperous, and you may not look at yourself and see it peaceful. Just get on a jet airplane and go around the world, and you'll find more war, more, uh, more poverty than you could even imagine. America is prosperous. America has, is, a, is a land of relative peace in, in, in spite of all that we see and hear on the news. We, um, I point that out to say we are not far off from the people of Israel living in a land of peace and prosperity. So the problem with that is, is you might think that when everything is great, our faith grows stronger. Actually, it doesn't. Our faith actually sometimes gets weaker. And actually, the people of Israel, in the midst of their setting down roots inside of their land, inside of their building up their homes in this time of peace, they began to wander away from the God who put them in that land, who gave them that land. Just like God gave you your house, just like God allowed you to have that, that skill, that talent you have to, to, to make wealth and to, and, and to work with you. Sometimes we forget God in the midst of our prosperity. Sometimes we, we, we lose track of that. Well, that's exactly what's happened to the people of Israel. And Joshua is coming back. He's bringing them center and he's realigning them. And so now go over to chapter 24. We're going to look at this charge. There, this charge is not going to be, hey, climb a hill. Hey, take a land. Hey, no, it's decide who you're going to be. Decide who your family is going to be. Decide where you're going to raise your kids and how you're going to raise the next generation. And I want to talk today about if we're going to lead our families well, if we're going to lead our children well, we got to deal with the challenges that are out there. There's lots of challenges. Raising teenagers, Knowing what to do with a crying baby. I remember whenever Jordan cried one of the first times, I thought if they just had a computer readout on their, on their forehead, change me, you know, I don't feel well or I'm hungry, but it's just the same cry. You know, ba- raising a baby, having an adolescent, launching them. There's so many stages in life as a parent, and it's all challenging. And so let's look at some of these challenges. But I want us to read Proverbs 24, 14 to 15, very familiar verses. And this is Joshua, after rallying the people, 
after reviewing the history of God's provision of the land, he comes and he says this, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. There's a standard in that. You want to you look at how well in sincerity, in fact, in the New American Standard says, in sincerity and truth. Ironically, what did we just read in Psalms a few moments ago? I want to walk in my house with integrity. Here he says, serve the Lord with integrity, with truth, with faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, beyond the Jordan rivers he's referring to, the river, in Egypt. Now that's, that's decades ago. Why are they, we'll come back and talk about it. Why are they talking about Egypt when they've been out of Egypt for now maybe close to a century? He says, and it is evil. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, okay, you don't want to serve the Lord? Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served on the region beyond the, uh, beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. There's another option for you. We'll talk about them in a moment. In whose land you, will, you dwell. So they're living among the Amorite gods. Uh, but as for me and my house, and here's that phrase, but as for me, say, say it with me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Beautiful declaration. What are the challenges of parenting? Same challenges of parenting here with Israel in this time period of establishing its, itself as a nation in the promised land. It's the same challenges we're facing in this peace and prosperity of America. Well, number one challenge is a cultural creep. Now, I'm not talking about the creep who's staring in your window at night when you're not, you don't know. I'm not, that's, like, that's, 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 that's wrong. That's a different kind of creep, okay? I'm talking about the creeping in. I'm talking the one that slides in unconsciously. I'm talking about that culture that seeps its way into, into our living room and into our thought processes and into our conversations and into the way we do things in the family, how culture creeps in. Now, I think those in the business world have heard of Vision Leak. Vision Leak is whenever this company has a great big vision, it's a beautiful vision, and we're going to march forward. It's beautiful. We're all behind it. And then just over time, it just seeps out. The vision leaks out. Well, much like the vision leaks, culture creeps, creeps in. And all of a sudden, what we once valued begins to be questioned. And what we once questioned it, we begin to adopt it. We begin to laugh at it. It becomes a part of our sitcoms. It becomes a part of our life. It becomes a part of our conversations. And we start accepting what is unacceptable to God. So let's go back to verse 14. I want to read it again. Now, therefore, the fear of the Lord, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river. Put away the gods. This is a phrase that we need to be aware of in our life because what happened here in, 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 in the people of Israel is there, as I said, decades removed from Egypt. But yet they picked up something in Egypt. Their grandpappy and their grandmama and their mama and their greats and their aunties, all of them picked up something when they were in Egypt. They picked up a little bit of the Egyptian God mentality. We're going to talk about what the Egyptian God, just focus on the fact that that was decades ago, but now it becomes a part of them. And now this generation is doing it. And now the next generation is doing it. 
And it just gets passed down. Now, what we call that in, in our world, it's called generational sins. It gets passed down. See, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. Well, we, when we get off course, all of a sudden, our children will, will take it and, and embrace it and, and, and make more of it. And this is something that we're going to have to consciously always be aware of. Is the culture creeping into my values? Is the culture creeping into my morals? Is the culture creeping into my ethics? People talk about business ethic, ethics, Christian ethics. Listen, there's not business ethics over here and Christian ethics over here. There's ethics. There's not morals for the church and morals for the unchurched. There's moral. There's morality. And what we got to do is we got to make sure that we don't allow this to just creep in and let the gods of this generation over here become our gods as well. Be very, very aware because this is going to happen again and again. Hundreds of years prior to this, Jacob challenged them. In, in Genesis chapter 35, verse 2, he said, So Jacob said to the household... To all who were with him, put away the same phrase that he uses in Joshua 24. He used in in Genesis 35, put away the foreign gods. You know what happened? Jacob said it back here. Joshua says it here. And is that all that needs to be said? No, because 100 years, 200 years later, Samuel's going to say it again. In Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter uh, chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods. Notice that we will constantly have to make sure the culture isn't creeping in. It will always be knocking at our door. Mike, I don't deal with little gods and little statues and little carvings. No, we don't. No, we we don't deal with that. We deal with bigger carvings. Boat carved out of fiberglass. Cell phones carved out of metal and and glass. We um, We deal with so many other little gods in our culture. The gods of a promotion. The gods of a bigger house. The gods of a golf tournament. There's all kinds of gods out there. America has, is it the American dream or is it the American God? And we really have to check our heart at this because we're looking for the promotion. We're looking for the big expensive vacation. We're looking for, we're looking for, and we never can quite get there. So we keep looking for and striving for. And all of a sudden we find ourselves just like everyone else, but hey, everyone else is doing it, right? Cultural creep. What if we were to live differently? What if we were changed the way that we thought and processed around the house? Do your children know if you give or don't give to your church? And if you talk about tithing, would they, would they even understand that concept? Have you taught your children the value of giving out of all of their increases? Do your children understand the value of worship? And if that's going to take place over traveling teams and over dances and over... See, what happens in our culture, we've allowed so many things to creep in and that now even Sunday's not a sacred day. We don't even have a sacred hour because so many things have been allowed to creep in. We, we don't even have time with God because the kids spilt the milk in the living room. You know, think about it. When was the last time your kids interrupted your Bible study? Interrupted your Bible study. And, you, and they say, well, I, that's why I, I can't have a Bible study because I'm, I'm having my Bible study and the kids come in because somebody uh, is fighting with somebody else. Do this next time. 
Unless somebody's bleeding or dying, kids, stay out. Try it. You know, unless something's coming out of their body that shouldn't be coming out of their body. Unless there's a fire in the house. Mommy and daddy, mommy or daddy, is reading their Bible right now. We're talking to God. Not everything is an emergency, but we allow so many things to come in. Cultural creep. We have so many things that we've got to do and we've got to maintain. Cultural creeps in to us. Do your children see you praying over the next big job move? Or do you just make a big job move and then say, God bless you? See, what we have to do as a family is we have to set some values. Set them in stone. Put them in the ground. And say, the world may go here and the world may go there, but we are staying here. Here's some ways that you can put God first in your home. You've heard me say these before. This is nothing new, but let's just come back and let's revisit them. And that is to give God the first moments out of every day. To give God the first day out of every week. To give God the first dime out of every dollar. To give God the first consideration out of every decision. Can you say that, that you do that? Because see, he challenges us here. He says, fear the Lord and serve him. Fear the Lord. We just read it. Fear the Lord. So what is this fear? It's not some watching some paranormal movie and, and, and fearing God because you, your life may be taken from you. No, that's not it at all. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's actually the idea of honor and respect. Here, here's just something to think about. What I honor most is my God. If I'm honoring the things of this world, I'm honoring that. And and what I serve the most, that's my God. So what is it out there that you honor the most? What is it out there that you serve the most? What is it that you give your time, your talents, and your treasures to? See, the culture will creep in, and all of a sudden, good things will replace the best thing. And you're going to have to make sure, as a family, you've got a stake in the ground, and you're not moving it. This is not moving. We're not changing. We're not wavering. 15 times from verse 14 to verse 33, he uses the word serve, serve, serve the Lord. The whole concept of what we say around here, serve one, worship one, that's really not just so we can put warm bodies in cold spots. That's because everyone needs to have a place of service. We talk about it around here. Why do we exist? You heard me say this a few weeks ago. I want to give it to you again. This is why Grace Point Church exists. I hope you can identify with it. We want to encourage authentic worship of God. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. We want to promote transformative communities with one another. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. I want to focus on the last one. We want to activate and arm our members for ministry and mission. What if you as a family said, we're going to be activated, we're going to be armed, we're going to do ministry, we're going to do mission, and we're going to change our culture of our home. We're going to establish some values in our home and we're going to do it regularly. I mean, there's some families in our church that I look at and I go, that's a great example. I go, Jeremy and Melissa Coffey. And I look at them and and I see, because Leotra told me all the ways that they're serving in the church and then how they're serving with their children in the church. And now how one of their children, one of their, their oldest, is now called into the ministry. 
What would happen if you as a family said, we as a family will serve and we will be a part of honoring God and, and serving him, honoring God and serving him in every way. Kelly Jensen, I think you're in the room right now. And how she serves with her son, Cody, her four-year-old in the four-year-old class each week. How Shane and Melissa Garner in our, in our church not only have a ministry, but have a mission. They have a ministry that they serve in in Kid Nation. But they're also the leaders of our foster parents' night out. So think about that. As, as, a, as, a, as a family, here's, and they serve in Kid Nation with their oldest child. So think as a family, we are going to be a family unit ready to honor God, ready to fear Him, and ready to serve Him through my church. That's going to be a core value, and we're going to pass it down to the next generation. I love what Caleb Gabrelli is doing with his kids, the same thing we did with our children when, when they were growing up, and that is we take our kids on mission. He just got back from Zambia with his, uh, I think, eight-year-old son, Tate. And he had already taken his son, Caden, to West Africa. And I guarantee he's going to take his girls, or his girl and boy, uh, when, uh, whenever they, when they get older. So the point being is that, that he's taking his, his family on mission, and they're constantly living that out. Here's the, what is your family values? Because what will happen is, the world, the culture will creep in and begin to erode the very foundation that you value, that you want your children to have when they grow up. 15th century castle in England has this engraved <clears throat> into a truss that's hanging over the big banquet hall. Some guests were staying there and they noticed it at breakfast and it says the, these words, This house shall be preserved and never shall decay where Almighty God is worshipped day by day. In your home, be real with yourself for a moment. In your home, in your home, in your home, would you say that God is worshipped there day by day, moment by moment? That's just one of the values you give him the first thought of every decision? Give him the first dime out of every dollar? Do you give him the first part of every day? Do you give him the first part of every week? First day out of every week? I think it's a good place to start. The second is ambiguity. An ambiguity of commitment. There's so many things pulling and pushing and drawing and dinging and, and wanting us. And listen, well, what happens is so many times God, His church, and, and the movement of God, it just kind of gets pushed to the side and we become a little bit ambiguous in our commitment. There's too many other opportunities out there beckoning us. And so Christianity and the faith and walking with Christ becomes a little milk toasty kind of thing. A little like a wet noodle. Didn't have any backbone to it. Listen to what Shane Claiborne said. I'm convinced that if we lose kids the culture of drugs and materialism, of violence and war, it's because we don't dare them, not because we don't entertain them. It's because we make the gospel too easy, not because we make it too difficult. Kids want to do something heroic in their lives, which is why they play video games and join the army. But what do we what but what do they do 
with a church that teaches them to tiptoe through life so that they can rise safely at death. Think about that. Listen, parents, let's raise the bar on what it means to follow Christ. Let's do something daring. Let's challenge ourselves to, to whether it's giving or serving or going or, or, or doing or, or, or loving or forgiving or whatever it is that God is calling us to. And let's do it boldly and let's do it with confidence as followers of God. Listen, let's not be kind of here today and in with God today and kind of out with Him tomorrow and serving Him on Sunday. And then, but we don't know what we're going to do on Monday. And we got big decisions over here and they're big business decisions, but let's know, let's bring it together. Let's not have ambiguity of commitment. Elijah called the people out and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Quit doing that. Call, but Jesus called the church in Laodicea lukewarm. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And that literally means to vomit you up. Listen, when you go to verse 15, you, you, find, you find Joshua in his words. He says, if, you don't, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, don't serve him. Listen, choose for yourself today whom you're going to serve. Whether you're going to serve the Amorites, who, who's that? Are you going to serve the Egyptian gods? Who, what's that? Let me, let me talk about the, these for, for a moment. Because any nature lovers, I, I love nature. I love being out of nature. I can identify with nature. You put me on a beach, you put me in the mountains or wherever. I just, I can really connect with God. Well, the Egyptians were nature lovers. They worshiped crocodiles. Think about the Nile crocodile. They had graven images of, Nile, uh, of crocodiles. They, they, they worshiped lions. They had this, 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 this weird kind of appreciation for cats. Any cat lovers in the room? Raise your hand. Any cat haters in the room? Raise your hand. Oh, there's more of you. Okay. Uh, all right, so for you cat lovers, you'll appreciate this. In Egypt, cats were sacred. They were believed, according to Clement of Alexander, who, Alexander Egypt, uh, Clement talked about in the Egyptian theology of that day that they believed that they were cats were God incarnate. All right, do not believe that, all right? That's a little too much cat loving going on. In fact, Clement even tells the story of a, of a situation where a Roman soldier accidentally killed a cat and they tore him apart limb by limb in a mob, all right? That's how much they loved their cats. Animal lovers, nature lovers, that's the gods of the Egyptians. Let's talk about the gods of the Amorites. They were a sexually free fertility god worshiper. Free sex, free sexuality, sensuality. That's what you do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring these to the 21st century. We love a lot of God's creation and we love sensuality. And sometimes we love that, if I'm the center of the line here, we love that more than we love God. And Joshua's calling us out from ambiguity. He's saying, listen, who are you going to serve? The Egyptian gods, the Amorite gods, or the God? You decide. Point is, you got to decide. He put some words out there that I don't want us to miss. You might circle them. I got them circled in green and in red in my Bible. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let's break it down and let's just see it word by word. It's a personal choice that you've got to make. You. He calls you. He calls you. He calls you. Some of you all today have been riding the fence long enough. Am I going to go with Jesus and not go with Jesus? Am I going to, am I going to follow him or not? Listen, it's time. It's your decision. But it's also a timely choice this day. He calls him on that day. He'd put a line in the sand. He said, listen, are you going to walk across that line or are you not? Choose for yourself today. It's a choice that you've got to make today. It's a lifestyle choice. Serve. Find a place to serve. That's one of the ways we express our love for God is by serving others. It's when we're most like God, when we're serving others. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but served and give my life for answer for many. We are like Jesus when we are serving. We've challenged y'all. Several weeks ago, I wanted to keep challenging you today. Where are we going to activate an arm for the next five years? You heard us talk about that at Strategy Meeting Day. There are still signs on the windows when you come in the gallery area. Stop there. Look. There are like 13 different ministries outlined there that are giving you. This is the vision we have for the next five years for this ministry. Women's ministry, men's ministry, junior high ministry, missions ministry, uh, mosaic ministry. Where do you see yourself? Find a place and serve. Choose for yourself. Today, whom you will serve, it's a choice that you're going to make. It's also a family choice. Notice what he said. He said, me and my house, we're serving the Lord. You know, we have got to moms and dads, and that's why I said last week, dads, I spoke to you on Father's Day. I said, you're going to set the tone. Josh was setting the tone for his family. Set the tone. Set the bar. No ambiguity. Get rid of it. Choose for yourself today who you will serve. Don't put it, put it off to next week. Don't put it off to next month. Make a choice now. I think the, the third challenge that we, we have is, is in the handoff. It's just making sure that we get, the, we get the faith transferred to the next generation. Number three, third challenge is a non-transferred faith. You know, it's, it's bad whenever there's ambiguity of our commitment. It's bad whenever the culture seeps into our home and all of a sudden values and morals and ethics begin to be shaped by culture rather than shaped by God. And so that's a really bad, bad posture. But really, it's really bad and really the test is, is that the faith doesn't get transferred. And we miss it in the handoff. I used to run track in high school. I didn't like it. I hated it. Um, but I did it for one reason, so I could get the letter. All right. I, I was a three-sport letterman in high school, basketball, football, and, and track. There were only two other guys, and it was all for, for vain glory is all it was because you got your name on a little plaque in the office if you were a three-sport letterman in the year that you were a three-sport letterman. I guarantee you that, that, that plaque is in a trash somewhere right now. All right, burned up, okay? So that was my, that was my, I want to get on that plaque, so I ran track, and I was horrible, all right? You'll never ask me to, uh, to teach you how to run. I run a 12-minute mile, maybe, all right? Somebody, well, a while ago told me they ran a six-minute mile, so, uh, you know, that's what I think about them. Um, 
So anyway, so I, I ran track and the coach, uh, he and I had a great, uh, Coach Smith and he and I had a great relationship and he kind of encouraged me uh, to go out and, I, and so he tried to find something. He tried pole vault and he, he tried high jump. He, he tried everything to get me to be able to, to letter. I, I, I ran hurdles, the 100 meter high hurdles. I was horrible. I was always in the last place and, and, and I wouldn't, I couldn't sprint and I didn't have the endurance to do the, the, the distance. And so I was up a creek. Finally, at the last meeting, of the year. For me to let her, I had to be able to get a ribbon. All right. So I, I my, my, he put me on a relay team, a really fast relay team with four runners and a really slow runner. And I'll let you figure out who the slow runner was. And I was the second leg, not the first leg, because he was afraid I'd jump out of the blocks too fast and mess things up. And I was the second leg because he did, he wanted Jerry to uh, Matson to run the fourth leg to make up for any ground that I lost, and so uh, he put me at the second leg. All that week he he worked on not not running faster, not staying in my lane. He worked on about twenty feet of the of the track, and it was the handoff. And if any of y'all ran track, you know how important that handoff is. They'd use a marker, and you know whenever that runner, the first leg for me, gets to that point, you turn around as a runner, and you start heading down the track just as fast as you can, which is not very fast, but, I mean, you just go as fast as you can. And then you don't look back and wait for the handoff. You just put your hand back there, and you just keep looking down because if you look back, your body will turn, and you'll find yourself in another person's lane. So you just keep looking down the track, and it's their job to make a successful transfer. I want to ask you a question. How's your transfer? How successful are you in handing it off? Now, the coach taught me. He said, it's not your job to, to, to get the transfer. It's their job to get the transfer to you, to get that baton to you. The only thing you got to do is when you get it, run as fast as you can. The key is making the transfer. Parents, it's a sad thing if we don't transfer the faith. And I know it's not always on us. We've got to make sure we've done everything on our part to get the baton there. Take your Bibles. You're in Joshua 24. Just go over two pages, maybe. Two pages in my Bible. Well, actually, one page in my Bible. Judges chapter 2. We're going to read the obituary of Joshua and what happens immediately after. And when Joshua was dismissed, chapter 2, verse 6, and when Joshua dismissed the people of Israel and went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. Notice this next statement. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Isn't that beautiful? That generation in which Joshua challenged, in which Joshua said, choose for you today whom you're going to serve. And they, they stepped up. If you read verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, in the following verses of Joshua 24, you'll find that they rose to the occasion. They answered the call. They said, yes, we're going to serve the Lord. Good. They're serving the Lord, right? Keep going. All the days of the elders and outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the boundaries and the inheritance of Tinnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim in the north the mountain of Gesh. You all know right where that's at, right? And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord 
or the work that he had done for Israel. I think maybe the saddest verse in the Bible. That a generation of followers of Yahweh God and one generation later, they did not know God nor the works of God. And you go on and you read Judges and there's one common theme throughout the rest of Judges. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We are one generation away from extinction. We are, we are so close to it ourselves. Moms, dads, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, whomever we are, we have a, an amazing and incredible opportunity and responsibility to make sure we get that baton in the next generation's hand, to make sure that they know the Jesus that we know. And if you don't know him today, let me stop there. You can't pass on what you don't have. If you don't know Jesus today, choose for yourself today who you're going to serve. I call you to serve Jesus. I call you to follow Jesus. I call you to fall in love with Jesus and allow him to just revolutionize your life from now and eternity. Get rid of the ambiguity. Get rid of the culture that's eroding the morals and the values and the ethics of your life. Get rid of them and establish a solid foundation on which you can build your life on and in which you can transfer to the next generation. Would you bow your heads with me? Just be ever still. And just ask yourself, which God am I serving? Which God am I honoring? And if you can't, from the depths of your heart, say, Jesus, I ask you, what's standing in your way? Today may be time for a new choice, a new decision, a new direction. What does that that mean? What's that going to take? What's that going to look like? If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I I would ask just where you're at, just get real serious with him. Just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't know you. I want to give myself to you. I choose you just like you chose me, Jesus, when you came and died on the cross. You chose me. Lord, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing this day whom I will serve. And I'm not serving the gods of the Egypt. I'm not serving the Amorites. I'm not serving the God of the Americans anymore. I'm serving you with all my heart. And I'm going to pray and help my next generation come to know you and walk with you too. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.